We're pleased to for the treat that you're going to experience tonight with Shani Miller, who's going to be coming and preaching here at City Life. If you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, uh, you know Shani's been with us uh, for about seven years, and, and her amazing husband, Nathaniel, who they met here at City Life, so we're taking credit for this wonderful life that they now have together. So uh, she just recently uh, got out of the Air Force, and she had a long and distinguished career in intelligence there at the Air Force. And uh, you know that we have many times prayed over her during our service as she's gone back overseas to the Middle East and some very dangerous places. And, And while she's been there so many times, God has just really burdened her heart for the persecuted church. And so when she got back from this last deployment, we began talking about what God was speaking to her heart. And we just, we knew right away, Shannon, you've got to come and share that message with this church. And not just for the Newport News campus, but because this podcast goes onto our website, it's at all of our campuses are gonna have the opportunity uh, to listen to these words of wisdom uh, and inspiration. And I think challenge for all of us tonight. So can you give Shani a warm welcome as she comes? Thanks, Fred. Um, What a great honor it is to be here tonight, first of all, just because I love this church uh, with all of my heart, and secondly, just because I love the persecuted church, and it's an honor tonight to talk about the persecuted church. Um, I just got back from Iraq uh, just less than five months ago, and so I'm kind of in this season of transition, and so, you know, in a weird way, I almost feel just as close to you all as I do my Iraqi brothers that are fighting ISIS in uh, Mosul right now. And so um, I also, in my heart, is just beating for our, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are all across the world that are facing persecution in all kinds of ways. And so it's a great honor to be here tonight. I wanted to first start uh, just, just telling you a story about one of my good friends, Jedediah. Jedediah is from Fiji, and he is right now a security guard um, on Iraq. He's contracted out by the U.S. government, and he is serving in Iraq, but he's originally from Fiji. And I met Jedediah as kind of just a, a God story. When I first got to Iraq back in March, I, uh, I felt a little bit overwhelmed, I would say. Um, the, our, our leadership basically gave us a task. We had just a small team of air advisors, and our leadership told us, okay, we want you to go, and we want you to assist the Iraqis and pushing ISIS out of Iraq. And uh, that was a little bit overwhelming for me. And uh, when I tend to get overwhelmed, my first instinct is really to feel overwhelmingly insecure. All my insecurities flare all over the place. So, you know, I I felt like, okay, I'm not a good officer. I'm not smart enough. What am I doing here? You know, all those things. And I'm just like crying late at night to God. And, and, And God was just like, hold on a second. Be still. Calm down. I called you here. I told you that you were gonna come. I equipped you with everything you needed. And so, he just spoke that to me. And then he said, okay, I have a mission for you. Every day, I want you just to go around and bring my joy wherever you're at. And I want you just to make people smile. And I was like, okay, 
I can do that. I can do that. Okay. And so I'd go around to the, you know, U.S. Army and the Australians and the Brits, and then I'd go over to the Iraqi side, and I would say hello or marhaba, salamu alaikum, whatever I had, and just try to make people smile. When I first got there, people weren't really smiling very much. And so I kind of, you know, I was like, okay, I can do this. And seriously, one by one, I saw more people smile and more people smile. And I saw just the joy of the Lord come. And so I met Jedediah. He was actually a uh, security guard at the dining facility there. And so every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I would see Jedediah. and, And I would smile and say good morning, good afternoon. And one day, Jedediah said to me, he, was, he said, God bless you, sister. God bless you. And, and you know, I could tell something about Jedediah was different. He had joy in a dark place that could only be from the glory of the Lord. And so we would just, for weeks, in a couple months, actually, we would just encourage each other just by saying, God bless you. You know, God bless you. And that would be enough just to kind of get through the day sometimes. And so, anyways, one day, I was actually able to preach there at the chapel there. It was just just an honor to do that. And I shared a little bit of my testimony while I was there. And afterwards, Jedediah came up to me, and he said, he said, Captain, ma'am, sister. He's like, that message was so good. Can, can, I, can I share some of my testimony with you? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, tell me your testimony. So sure enough, Jedediah shared part of his story with me. Now, during the uh, Fiji, one of the attempted coups in 2000, Jedediah was actually picked up by the U.S. government. Or not, sorry, excuse me, the Fiji government. (laughs) He was thrown into jail. He was a lot of bad things. Let's just say a lot of bad things happened to him. And then... He got saved in jail. (laughs) And so he learned to talk to Jesus while he was in jail. And then one day, he started praying. He he wanted a Bible. He had heard about a Bible. And so he he just said, God, can I get a Bible? And uh, there were these Christians that every couple of days would come by his prison cell, and they would just pray. And so one day... He threw out a note that said, can you bring me a Bible? And they acted, and they brought him a Bible. And so Jedediah shared this story with me, and you could just see this was the beginning of his walk, where God just radically set him on fire for the gospel. Now, I want to draw your attention to the Christians that acted on behalf of Jedediah. Right? So they... Didn't know Jedediah, they didn't know his story, they didn't know his background, they didn't know that he had actually become a Christian in jail. But they acted in obedience, and they went and prayed every couple of days for all the people in jail. Who knows the other stories? And then, when they got the note, they saw the need, and they met the need. Okay? So this story, and the Christians that met that need draws us right to our text that we're going to look at tonight in Romans 15, verses 25 through 27. Starting in verse 25. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem 
to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessing of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. So I want to make these verses practical for you guys tonight. Let's say that we are the church in Macedonia, okay? Paul's been traveling all over the world. He's getting ready to, to go to Macedonia and Achaia, and then after that, he's going to go to Rome and Spain. He comes into this chapel, and, you know, Paul, his face is a little bit messed up. He's been punched and bruised. He's got scars on his back. He probably smells a lot because he's been traveling a lot. He looks kind of, you know, a little bit just, his hair is a little bit crazy. But he has the light on his face, the, the excitement of the gospel. He's, he's just passionate, and he's fired up, and he's, and he's sharing stories with you. And he tells you, he says, you know, the, there's believers that are in Jerusalem that are, are struggling. They're poor. They're going through stuff. They're being persecuted. They're, there's stuff they're going through. And so my question to you tonight is if you, as the church of Macedonia, you as the church of City Life, should there be something in you that rises up and say, what is the debt that I owe? What is my role? How do I play a piece in connecting to the church body, the, the body that God has designed for us to be connected to? What is the debt that I owe? So many of you might ask, well, who is the persecuted church? Who is the persecuted church? Maybe you know this much or you know that much, but today I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of intro. And so I'm going to show you this map that kind of just gives you an overview, um, big scale. This map is taken from opendoorsusa.org. And what they do every year is they put together a report that ranks all the um, countries based on how much persecution Christians face in those countries. And there's also other resources out there, such as Voice of the Martyrs, that put together a once-a-year report. They're just, they're phenomenal. They, they kind of break down the countries, and they also give you a description of, hey, what type of persecution are these Christians facing? Is it from the government? Is it from other religious groups? Is it from tribes? What, what type of persecution they're facing? And so this map, in red, you can see the countries that face extreme persecution. And then the darker brown is kind of the layer below that is very high. And then the, the lighter brown is, is still high, but it's lower than the other two. So countries that are red are countries like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Somalia, Yemen. Um, and then countries that are the, the layer before, below that dark brown are countries like uh, India, Libya, uh, Egypt, and uh, others that you can see on there. And then the layer below that is countries like China and um, China and uh, like I think the Palestinian territories are on there, and then also Mexico as well. And so again, this is just a once a year report. Those colors are going to change every year. And so this just kind of gives you a, a big overview. 
So whenever I kind of approach an issue or a people group or something that I don't really understand, whether it's the persecuted church, refugees, Muslims, Buddhism, ISIS, whatever it may be, I usually try to understand it first from like this big picture perspective. And then I try to find out the stories. How does this actually impact people? And then from there, I begin this wrestling with God where I'm kind of like, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Help me understand. Usually in that wrestle when I'm praying with God, he shows me some things, but there's still a lack of knowing the complete story. And so from there, usually I ask God, okay, God, I don't fully understand all of this, but what is my role and how can I help? And so from that point, I usually take a step of faith and I move and I get involved somehow, whether it's praying, whether it's giving money, or whether it's practically helping in some way. I take, I take a step of faith. And then from there, I usually find, not always, but I usually find that God gives me more wisdom. He gives me more understanding. He gives me more truth. Then I begin talking with people of other perspectives, and they tell me how they're helping, and I tell them how I'm helping. And then I gain more insight and understanding to the actual issue or people group or suffering that is at hand. Okay? So this is a grand overview. Now I'm going to show you the stories. So first, I'm going to talk about my friend Gabe. My friend Gabe I met in 2011. He's the one on your left, uh, my right in the picture. And um, him, Gabe, Gabe and Ted were on my team, and we spent uh, 12-hour days, seven days a week back in 2011 in Iraq. And so we got to know each other really well. Now, Gabe shared with me that when... He, he was actually from Sudan, and he, when he was just a young boy, he was picked up by the government, no reason whatsoever. They just picked him up, they threw him in jail, they tortured him, they tortured him a lot, and, and they also, also during that time, he cried out to the Lord, right? He's going through hell, hell, and he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord radically delivers him and gets him out of jail. He gets to Hong Kong. He lives in Hong Kong for a decent amount of time. And then his visa runs out. And so again, he cries out to the Lord, Lord, where should I go? I don't know where to go. And the Lord speaks to him and says, remember my servant Abraham. I'm taking you to a new land. And so out of a leap of faith, he gets on a plane and he goes to Syria. This was before Syria was as hot of a mess as it is today. But he's in Syria. He lives there for a decent amount of time. And then he gets a prophetic word from another brother in Christ. And his brother says, I believe that you are supposed to move to America. And I believe that in America, God's going to use your Arabic language to spread the gospel. Gabe looks up to God and says, I don't even know what... I, th I think people in America only speak English. Like, what is this? You know, what does this mean? And so, anyways, he moves to America. He now uh, serves in a church in Tennessee. Every Saturday, or every Sunday, he basically he translates the gospel to a large congregation there. Right? And so he is, he is spreading the gospel every week. 
And he is powerfully being used by God, and his testimony is impacting people all across the world. All right? One quick story. Amen. One quick story about Gabe just and I. When we got to Iraq, we both got there around the same time. And the base that we were at, people told us before we got there, hey, Cal Sioux is getting slammed by indirect fire. And uh, people were so scared when they were there that they were actually sleeping in bunkers. And so we really didn't know what we were going to expect when we got there. And when Gabe and I got there, no indirect fire happened at all. The Lord literally stuck up his hand and blocked all the attacks of the enemy and saved our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's Gabe. Now I want to share a story about my friend Suhame. So my friend Suhame, a precious woman, oh my goodness, I love her to pieces. She was just a young girl living in northern Iraq when uh, Saddam decided that he wanted Christians to, to leave. And he basically kicked out massive amount of Christians. And so during that time, her and her family fled to Greece. And uh, she shares with me, you know, Greece was beautiful, it was awesome, but Deep down, if you really ask her questions, it was a very hard time for her. Um, just as a young girl, didn't really know what was going on. And so she moved from Greece, and then she actually moved to the U.S. She moved to Chicago, to L.A., and then up in Northern California, where I actually get to see her when I go back home and see my family. And so Suhame is a rich woman. She's very quiet in some ways. But when you actually get to, to talk with her, she'll share just the rich faith that she has. She's a rich woman of God, and her testimony and her story shines through who she is. And so that's Gabe, that's Suhame, two of my friends that are part of the Persecuted Church. I could be here all night speaking about different people in the Persecuted Church. These two stories happen to be refugees that live in the U.S. now that are American citizens, but I could talk about people that are in you know, China that are pastors that are living, uh, that are uh, leading house churches. And, and I could talk about, you know, Muslims that have recently converted to Christianity in Syria and, and are just, you know, running by the, trying to stay away from ISIS and, and avoiding bombs that are coming from above. I could, I could go on and on and share about the horrific things that happened to the persecuted church, like rapes deaths, loved ones, dying, grief, tragedy. And at the same point, I could talk even more about the miracles, about the glory, about the the divine interventions that God brings in the way that God takes care of his church. Amen? So what's our role? What is our role? What debt do we owe to the persecuted church? I think that there are three main reasons why we think that we don't necessarily have an obligation to the persecuted church, or maybe we don't necessarily act. One is that it just seems overwhelming at times. I don't know about you, but this week with the, the refugee stuff going on, like it seems overwhelming at times. It's just a lot that's going on. When I think about the tragedies that, that ISIS is carrying out in Iraq and Syria, it feels overwhelming. Like, how could, how could you know, us, just City Life Church here in Hampton, even relate to, to some of the things going on in, in other parts of the world where 
people have to hide their Christianity, where people can't even open their mouth in public to say the name of Jesus. It's overwhelming at times. Another reason I think that we feel like we can't help the persecuted church is the fact that a lot of the persecuted church remains hidden, right? Like you can't necessarily go and talk to to Christians in in China or these other countries where if the government sees you talking to them, that's going to actually put them at danger, right? So how do you reach people that are hiding, right? How do you do that? Um, So that's number two. And, And the third reason I think a lot of us Americans get stuck in this mindset is that we believe that because we can't take care of our own backyard, why would we even go beyond that? Why would we, right? There's homeless, there's people that are orphans, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in our nation right now, right? So, so how can we even think beyond that? So if you resonate with any of those three reasons that I just shared, I have some homework for you tonight. I want you to go home and I want you to meditate on Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Does this verse say that we will receive power from the Holy Spirit to go to Newport News? Well, I think it does, because it's Judea, yes, but that's not the whole part, right? And so when we limit the Holy Spirit in us, in our house, to just what we can understand or touch or see in our own backyards, we are limiting the power of the Holy Spirit. We are limiting the glory of the Lord. We are limiting the fact that our Father in heaven has designed us to be part of a church that is worldwide that stretches further than our local churches. Acts 1.8. Spend some time praying over that tonight and this week. So tonight I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe that we are called to help the persecuted church. The first is that I believe we are family. We are the house with the persecuted church. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 says this, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. So now, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he made us all family. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Iraqi, Syrian, Somalian, people from Sudan, China, Mongolia, Malaysia, Burma, Australian, Antarctica, right? We are all family, all of us. And he says, we're his house. 
So the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we become his house. Not just one of us, but all of us. And that's the importance of connecting to people that look differently than you because we together are his house. And and we need to be connected because we store the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when uh, when I preached when I was in Iraq, we moved the chapel and, because they were doing some construction. And when they moved the chapel, we moved in kind of this abandoned building, and there were these contractors that were supposed to clear out the, the stuff that was below. And they didn't quite do their full job. And so basically you walked into this building, and it smelled like dead animals. It was awful. It was so bad. And so the chaplain, bless his heart, decided that he was going to spray pine salt, like, everywhere. So you walk into the building, you're like, wow, this is great. I feel high. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know? And so, you know, the, the AC broke. It was like 115 degrees. And we're, we're, in this, we're in this chapel. And I remember just looking out at the congregation. And I saw, you know, Kenyans, Ugandans, people from Fiji. You had the Brits. You had the Australians. We're sweating. We smell. <laughs> We're high on pine salt. We smell the dead bodies underneath, you know, dead animal bodies, let me say. Um, and, uh, and so, and it was beautiful, right? It was beautiful. Why did we all stay there? Why did we all worship at the top of our lungs? Because we felt the power of the Holy Spirit. We could see the connection of the church, and, and some people weren't even, you know, they weren't even singing in English. They were singing in whatever language they knew, and we all sung in unity, right? That only happens because we're the body, and we're the house, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. Amen. So the second reason why I think we need to help the persecuted church is because we're the body, (laughs) right? I love this beautiful symbolism that God gives us with the human body, something that we can relate to. You know, in Corinthians, where it talks about just the the intricacies of the body together. Now, let's just imagine for a second. Say that we are the pinky, okay? We're the pinky. Maybe, maybe the, you know, Suffolk campus is like the finger next to that, and Williamsburg is definitely the thumb, right, the thumb. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're the pinky, and all the, and, and say that, you know, say that there are Christian brothers and sisters of the foot, okay, maybe from Sudan, Iraq, China, I don't know, wherever. What if someone comes in with a whip and starts whipping the foot? Or they stomp on it, they stomp on it, they spit on it, they curse it, they yell at it, right? Are you going to feel that as the pinky? Are you going to feel that? Yes. God designed the body to feel when another part suffers. It says in Corinthians that when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. So when our Christian brothers in Sudan are are crying out, or when our brothers and sisters in Syria are running from ISIS, or Iraq, or Somalia, all these different places, and they're suffering, we should feel the suffering. It also says that when one part is honored, the rest rejoices. 
And that's the beauty of the church. Because when we serve a God that is sovereign all over all, the creator of the universe, we're going to do more rejoicing than we are grieving, okay? It's perspective because there's a lot of awful things happening in the world. And so we can get stuck in this grieving, just crying for the persecuted church and not actually making any difference. We have to have this perspective that in the midst of the grief, in the midst of the rapes, in the midst of the tortures, in the midst of the beheadings, that God is sovereign. And we're waiting for those moments for that church to be honored, for God to raise up his church just like he raised his son on the cross. And so we must always be prepared to rejoice. So rejoice. We're his body. We're his body. Now, one thing that I like to think of of our missionaries that we support here at City Life, I like to think of them as blood vessels. Right? So Marvin, where are you at? All right, so Marvin, he's like a blood vessel to the, to the Haitians, Right? Our missionaries in Turkey, they're like blood vessels. Our missionaries in China, they're like blood vessels. And so when Marvin raises his hand and says, hey, the Haitians are suffering. They're suffering. We need resources. They need food. They need water. They need books. They need walls for their school. City Life, Church of Macedonia, we need you. Right? There should be something that rises up and says, what is my debt to pay? What is my role? How can I help? Praise the Lord. We raised, what, $13,500? Amen? Right? So what else? What more? Right? Should we ask more, how can we pray for the Haitians? How can we help? How can we help in practical ways? You know, our, our missionaries in Turkey, how they're, they're, I, I really believe that they're seeing people that are seeing dreams and visions of Jesus, Muslims that are coming to Christ. And I know from just from staying in contact with them that they are seeing people in Turkey get set free from alcohol addictions. Right? Amen. They're seeing people come in, drink some tea, and, and come to know Christ. It's good. Blood vessels. Even for the missionaries in China that we can't hear that many stories about, they're still blood vessels, and they still need our help. So any, even when we don't know, we need to operate in faith because there's so many, so many needs. I'm going to give you four practical steps tonight, ways that you can help. And as the... Uh, Band could come forward, and I would also like Christy and Doug Facile to come up here. There's four practical ways for you can help. There's so many other ways that you can help. But first, pray. Anytime I get to a topic or people group that I don't really understand, I, I, I go like this to God. God, help me know what my role is. Help me know how I can help. And then on top of that, we can be intercessors to praying for our, our brothers and sisters all across the world. Two practical resources that you can have for prayer, praying for the persecuted church. Voice of the Martyrs does a phenomenal calendar every year that it actually lays down day by day different groups that you can pray for, different topics. There's also an email that I receive every couple of weeks that's icommittopray.org. And what that does is it will give, you, give me like three 
different topics for that email, and they're very specific prayers that I can pray. And then it has a link that I can actually link on and go and post a prayer if I desire to do that. So it's really cool. You can see how people are praying for the persecuted church worldwide. So prayer is one. The second is going on a short-term mission trip, right? You haven't gone on a short-term mission trip, everyone needs to go. Everyone needs to go. I think that they're going to the Dominican Republic in October. Carrie Shannon over there, you can raise your hand, talk to her. And then Marvin, I think, is leaving in a couple weeks. I'm not sure if it's too late to sign up for that, but he'll be going again. So talk to Marvin. If you haven't gone on a short-term mission trip, you need to experience other parts of the world to actually live out this Acts 1-8 calling. The third way for you to get involved is to give financially, right? I mean, God has blessed us in America with financial resources. And he didn't just bless us so that we could live comfortable lives. He blessed us so that we could be a significant part of his body, of his house. And so we have really set the bar high with raising this money this last week, but God's gonna keep setting it higher. He's gonna keep setting it higher. And we want, want to continue to be a church that connects to his body worldwide. The fourth way is simply awareness. The fact is that a lot of us really just need to get off of Facebook for a little while and plug into what God is doing in the church. There are so many resources out there. Podcasts, videos, books. Voice of the Martyrs is a great place to start, but I could give you at least 50 more other resources. Find a way to educate yourself in a way that God can speak to you about what he's doing worldwide and not just what the news is feeding you. Now, just as uh, I close now, I would like Christy and Doug to come up here real quick. So we have this saying in the military. It's called, uh, we got your six. And it's basically this saying that has become really popular as suicides among veterans and military members has increased over the recent years. And I want to use this demonstration tonight to, to give you a visual of, of what God desires for us to help the church. Because when the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are going through hell, yes, they know that God has their six, that God has their back. Whether they're in a jail cell or they're watching their families be killed in front of their eyes, they're, whether they're going through extreme grief or fear or frustration, whatever they're going through, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so they know that wherever they're at. But it matters so much to them when they know that the church has their back. All right, so, so when I'm going forward and I know that Chrissy and Doug have my back, it kind of looks like this. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it, right? And there's so many ways that we can allow the persecuted church to feel us, whether it's our prayers, whether it's our financial resources, whether it's going and physically helping they can feel us. And it's not just based on our own manly perspective. When we step out in faith, 
God uses us, he equips us with his Holy Spirit to reach in places that we can never reach. And so just in closing, I would like you to stand tonight. Link arms with one another to your left and to your right. And as you, as you link arms, I want you just to think of the person next to you being connected to someone else in another country. Someone in Somalia, someone in Sudan, someone in Iraq, someone in, in Yemen. God, we thank you tonight, Lord, for linking arms with one another. We thank you for the work that you're doing here in, in Hampton Roads, God, the powerful work that you are equipping us with the Holy Spirit to carry out works that go far greater than our humanity. But God, we ache for more. We ache for more, God. We pray, God, that you would allow our prayers, our resources, our actions, our hands to impact the world, God. May the persecuted church feel us tonight and may they know that we have their backs wherever they're at, whether they're refugees or in their own countries. God, I just pray, God, that the, the sovereign love of Jesus Christ would cover them and that they would know that we are here for them. Amen.